Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMALOTN. This week, we are going over the big UFC 273 card, headlined by two title fights. In the main event, we got the featherweight strap on the line between Alexander Volkanovsky and short notice-ish Korean Zombie stepping in for Max Holloway who had to pull out literally a day or two after they had originally announced the fight. Took them a couple days and insteps Korean Zombie on a little bit of a short notice. And in the co-main event we have the rematch of the bantamweight title between Pyotr Jan and Aljamain Sterling. We're trying to right the wrongs of what occurred in their first fight. Uh, Aljamain Sterling getting a little bit too much flack from the public. Uh, the guy's still a very very skilled fighter, but Piotr Jan went out there for an interim title against Corey Sandhagen and showcased why he's still one of the best fighters in the world, absolutely shutting down Sandhagen and getting that interim strap. But his eyes are set on the undisputed title. That is which uh, finds its home with Aljamain Sterling at the moment, but we will see if Jan can recapture that this weekend. A couple other fun fights sprinkled out toward the card, not to mention the return of Hamzat Shemaev taking on his first legitimate test here, although I don't want to you know, besmirch Li Jingliang's name too much, but Gilbert Burns, a top five ranked welterweight. Let's see if Hamzat Shemaev's height is actually worth it and whether Gilbert Burns will be able to derail that or not. But before we get into the card, as always, let's go over the betting recap of the last event, which was UFC Columbus. And man, was it a stinker. Not only was it a stinker, but I went 9-3 and three on predictions and still ended up getting reverse swept on my bets, just not picking the best spots to go out there and actually pull the trigger on is what it is happy with my predictions but at the end of the day my uh, betting accounts were slightly lower in terms of its dollar value especially after that event so let's start off with the lock of the night play started off pretty well with neil magny getting the dub there although it was via split decision uh, i'd say you know maybe two out of three times or sorry Two or three out of ten times, if Neil Magny and Max Griffin fought, Max Griffin probably drops him in that first round, and that was probably one of those two or three times. But outside of that, Neil Magny was able to do what he needed to do, taking over in the second and third rounds and getting uh, taking home a decision victory. Unfortunately, Askar Askarov drops the ball after having a dominant first round. In the third round, he just did not have the urgency, nor did he have the success with getting his grappling going, and Kai Car France was able to take rounds two, round three, and win that fight via decision which uh, I believe the odds were pretty wide for him to win via decision as a lot of people thought that his success if it were to come would be via knockout uh, but that's why we play the game that is MMA because we never know exactly what's going to happen not to mention in January we just saw Francis Ngannou win a wrestling based decision over Cyril Gan. so that is the crazy world of MMA. Lock of the night play, shits the bed. That's minus three and a half units there. I did not go the full five units as, you know, we're getting minus 114 odds on that parlay. I didn't want to get too greedy in case something like that played out with Askarov not getting the win. So we falter on the lock of the night play there. Uh, dog of the night play was Ali Askarab, uh Kizriev uh, against Dennis Tululin to go over one and a half rounds. 
we missed that by 30-ish seconds. You know, I was very happy when that fight got into the second round, and I thought we'd see Dennis survive a little bit longer. But uh, Kizriev managed to get the fight to the ground and just was able to get the finish there. So hats off to Kizriev. But unfortunately, the dog of the night play does not cash. And then lastly, uh, I had a 1.35 units on the Brown and Barbarena fight to not go to a decision. And good Lord, did they deliver on a great fight that night. Unfortunately, the fight still goes to a decision, so you lose minus 1.35 units there. So all in all, like I said, reverse sweep, minus 5.85 units, not my best showing of the year. Uh, but again, I find, I find some solace in being able to call uh, predictions 9 and 3. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, it's it's the the money that's in the the betting accounts that matters the most and obviously after this we're down uh five and a half almost six units at this point in time on the uh on this last ufc columbus event but eyes are now fully on ufc 273 we had a week off we got to take a little bit of time and take our time to get through the tape study and that's exactly what your boy did i didn't rush anything just finished up all the tape studying now and uh best bets and props article has been posted on the patreon for a couple days now uh got a couple other great things coming to that uh patreon not to mention a great discord community as well shout out to all those guys i know i haven't been in there as much over the last week or at least last month month and a half being in there kind of sporadically but i still enjoy jumping in there when i do get the opportunity to do so uh so make sure you guys check out the patreon early access to the bets the breakdowns all that good stuff and not to mention prize picks tips is on there as well so you guys get plenty to chew on for only five bucks a month that's four pretty much four cards a month considering the pace that the ufc is going at uh so make sure you guys go check that out and secondly make sure you guys check out cool bet promo code MMALOTN2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. Uh, great website for, you know, a lot of things. Sometimes they're slow with updating their lines so you're able to get better lines on fights that you may be uh, kind of falling behind on or uh, parlaying props. You know, I know a lot of people like scratching that degenerate itch by parlaying some props. That's exactly what you're going to be able to do on CoolBet as well. Uh, so make sure you guys go check them out. Once again, promo code is MMALOTN2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks all right that's a wrap on the intro stuff let's get right into the breakdowns and if you guys watched the last episode you guys know i'm going back to doing all this in one shot something that i kind of enjoyed from back in the day and uh given how long of a process it takes to do every single individual video individual video process each one and then put it all together and then process it again it takes up a little bit too much time. I could be using that time to either update the tape index or even update uh, the best bets and props article and getting ahead on the schedule. So I won't be dropping early video breakdowns anymore, but all the, the breakdowns will be in written format in the Patreon as soon as I finish each matchup. So make sure you guys go check that out, like I said. But we're going to be ringing off these uh, breakdowns one after the other, one shot, old school vibes. Let's get it going. So first fight of the night or at least uh, according to uh, topology you know they don't even have the main card set obviously considering that the Gaslam and Duplessis fight fell off a couple of days ago uh, so they're still kind of in sh uh, scramble mode in terms of figuring out how they're gonna you know uh, fill the hole that's left uh, on the main card there but we will go with 
the format that Tapology currently has. And like I said, first fight of the night is going to be Julio Arce and Daniel Santos in the bantamweight division. Uh, UFC debut of Daniel Santos, Wiley Cat is his nickname. Very fun fighter. I had a ton of fun watching his tape. Uh, I pretty much watched everything that we have posted on the tape index just so I can get a good feel of what we're getting with Daniel Santos and what we're getting. Is a guy that just fights like his nickname. Like I said, he's very wild, likes to throw a lot of spinning stuff, uh, is very you know forward pressure oriented, likes to move forward, put pressure on his opponents, and throw big shots as well. And uh, either he finds the knockout or he's able to just pressure his opponents up against the cage and just really do some good work there. Uh, his uh, you know most, most often than not, when opponents try to get into the ground, that's where they find the most success. You know, there's a, one of his opponents on the regional scene at ACA, which you know although it's it's the regional scene technically it's still one of the best uh spots for guys to really fight tough competition before they make it to the ufc you know i think it's tougher to get through aca and fight night global and and a couple of these other russian shows uh, m1 global um compared to like the lfa's or the cage warriors and i think that's where we see daniel santos you know prove that he he can hang and stick with these uh these elite level guys and that's where he took his first ever loss you know but it wasn't without a fight you know his opponent dragged him to the ground over and over again but santos was able to get to his feet dish out some damage and then unfortunately get taken down once again I'd be surprised if Julio Arce would have as much grappling success as that guy had. Because he's even fought other guys that were trying to implement a grapple-heavy game plan. His takedown defense looked good. His cage wrestling looked good. His get-ups looked good. And then he went back to work with his striking, which a lot of opponents were not able to keep up with. So I, I like what we see from Daniel Santos. I like his aggressiveness, like I said. And, and with Julio Arce, who likes to have a clean fight, fight from the outside and kind of use his range and his southpaw stance to cause his opponent's confusion... When guys are kind of just crashing forward and giving him uh, uh, and giving him some resistance, that's where he finds the most trouble. Like even if we look back at the Shaman Marais fight, the the for the majority of the fight, Julio Arce is getting the better of him by just t picking him apart from the range. But when Shaman Marais crashes forward and lets his hands go, he was able to drop Julio Arce on numerous occasions which is why he ended up coming out with the win there. I feel like Daniel Santos can do a similar a similar thing, right? He wants to go in there, crash the pocket, let his big shots go, and try to drop his opponent or find the knockout. And I think he can do that here against Arce. Like I said, when we see Arce at his best, he's able to replicate what he did in the Andre Ewell fight two fights ago. Stay at distance, utilize his leg kicks, let his hands go once his opponent crashes the pocket. But when he's fighting guys like Song Yudong, Shaman Marais, or even Hakeem Dawadu, guys that are willing to engage with him in the pocket, that's where he starts to falter. That's where he starts to falter under the pressure and power of his opponents. And that's exactly what I think we're going to see from Daniel Santos, who's going to be able to crash the pocket, land his big strikes, maybe even find a knockout, find a knockdown, and that should be enough to get the judges on his side. So, Julio will really need to stay safe in those spots where they start exchanging in the pockets. Otherwise, I think he's going to get hit. I think he's going to get dropped. And again, I think he could get finished. So I love, the, I love this uh, underdog price tag that we're getting on Daniel Santos at plus 160. I even see him at plus 170 at a couple of spots. I'm going to take the underdog shot here on the guy. I, I think he has the perfect style to give Julio Arce problems. And I'm a guy that's been big on Julio in the past. You know, I thought he had top 10 potential when he came into the UFC after he defeated Dan Ige. But he's 3-3 three and three in his last six fights, and albeit, you know, against decent competition, Shaman Marais and Hakeem Dawadu, and obviously the last time he got knocked out by Song Yudong. 
But I'm not saying that Daniel Santos is going to be this crazy killer in the division. I just think that he is a great stylistic matchup here uh, or has a great stylistic matchup here to get his hand raised in his UFC debut. So I'm going to go with Daniel Santos and I'm going to pick him to win this fight probably by KO. I'm not going to call a round. You know, that's always very difficult to do. He could do it in the first round. He could do it in the second round. And his cardio has shown that he can even do it in the third round if he needs to. But uh, I'm going to take Daniel Santos and I'm going to take him to win this fight via knockout. All right, next up, we got Kay Hansen taking on UFC newcomer Piera Rodriguez. Uh, she's coming in off of her Dana White Contender Series victory, which actually was right after she won the LFA title uh, in a fifth round TKO victory over her opponent. Uh, in the Dana White Contender Series fight, we saw a pretty much well-rounded game from her compared to what we've been seeing when she was on the regional scene, where she was going out there and just absolutely starching these girls with mainly just her striking. But in the contender series fight, we saw her go out there and land takedowns, engage in the clinch, and really try to get her ground game going, which is showing signs of improvements from Piera Rodriguez, which I can't wait to see going into this fight against Kay Hansen, who's clearly going to be the best fighter that she's faced to this point, especially in the grappling realm, which is where I think Kay Hansen is going to look to take this fight. Now, uh, it is a pick em fight here, but the odds have gone all over the place. A lot of coming in, or sorry, a lot of love coming in on Piera Rodriguez uh, late last week and then uh the money coming back in on the Hansen side to pretty much put this fight back down to a pick em, which has pretty much been the entire time or where I think it should have been the entire time sorry uh, I do lean the Kay Hansen side because she is showing improvements in her striking which she's obviously going to be at a disadvantage in uh, in this specific fight but I do like her uh, improvements that we've been seeing but her ability to mix this fight up and be the clearly better BJJ player which I think we're going to see showcased here I think that will be the difference maker in this fight she could go out there and you know strike with Pieta for a round maybe get Pieta into this false sense of confidence where she thinks that this is going to be a striking battle and then bang before you know it this fight will probably hit the ground and I think that's where we're going to see Kay Hansen do her best work um, I don't want to have too much money riding on this fight again uh, I know Piera is improving in the grappling realm and I feel like she's going to have to show even more improvements here especially to deal with the, the grappling of Kay Hansen but if she's not able to show in those improvements I think that Kay Hansen will absolutely cruise from on top or she'll be able to find a submission at a certain point as well so I, I do lean the Kay Hansen side ever so slightly Nothing big here. Uh, again, it's more so of a sit back and see what Pierre Rodriguez brings to the table. Whereas for the Kay Hansen side, this could be a do or die fight for her, right? She goes out there and she loses. She could get cut. That's going to be three straight losses. Uh, and it's just not going to look good on her record. And, uh, you know, even though she is still young, uh, she has a lot to still offer. Uh, I think that uh, she might even benefit if she loses this fight. She might benefit from getting cut, fighting on the regional scene a little bit more, and then getting back into the UFC after she's been a little bit more battle-tested. But luckily for her, I do think she ends up picking up the victory here. She's going to have to put on a complete mixed martial arts performance, though, to get it done, because if she goes out there and tries to have a 15-minute kickboxing matchup with Pieta, she's going to get touched up. And I do like the K-Hands inside, though, just because I do think she can hold her own in the striking, but she won't be able to hold her own for the majority of the fight if that's where she wants to keep it. She'll have to mix in the grappling, mix in the clinch work, get this fight to the ground, and really start uh, wearing on Pierre Rodriguez from on top. So uh, the pick is going to be Hansen. Uh, no bet. No real, you know, uh, eagerness to bet it, but I do lean on the Hansen side as I do think she'll be able to grind out from Piera from on top, either winning this fight via decision 
or uh, via submission. I think both of those are absolutely plausible here. All right, let's move on to the middleweight division here where we have a fight between Anthony Fluffy Hernandez and short notice Josh Fremd. In terms of odds, we got minus 200 on uh, Fluffy and plus 170 the return on Josh Fremd. Now, Josh Fremd, I believe he earned his UFC contract after the looking for a fight uh, episode that they did at FAC. If I'm not mistaken, that was the night that the the Nelk boys were in town and they were trying to find a fighter that they can uh, sponsor or at least uh, manage whatever they were trying to do. But Friend put on a solid performance that night, uh, dealing with the length and explosiveness of his opponent. Uh, I think the guy's name was Bauman blanking on the on the first name but uh, Bauman was very fast a very heavy hitter having some good success from the outside but eventually friend was able to catch up with him and then eventually get him out of there with his own uh I believe it was a TKO that he got that night let me just quickly pull that up uh but yeah great performance from him there he's nine and two trains out of factory x Muay Thai in Denver Colorado um and yeah he uh, got a rear naked choke in the second round against Joel Bauman who seemed to be starting to slow down in that fight the last time we saw friend lose was actually via knockout to gregory rodriguez in a fight that he was like a minus 230 favorite in and if i'm not mistaken that was right after gregory rodriguez had been knocked out by uh, uh jordan williams on the contender series and a lot of people thought that he was very fragile very chinny unfortunately Josh Fremd paid for it and Gregory Rodriguez was able to get the knockout of his own but uh, preceding that you know he had three straight first round knockouts Lamar Gossi, Antonio Jones, Bruno Oliveira, uh, Josh Fremd was showing that he had a lot of dynamite in his hands and he was able to get those guys out of there but the thing that I'm most intrigued by is the fact that none of these fighters since the Lamar Gossi fight have really tried to test Josh Fremd in the grappling realms as that seems to be his weak spot you know, Lamar was able to get a pretty easy takedown that night, but Lamar did not seem like a guy that was in shape nor willing to even to be in that division to begin with. Uh, but, uh, you know, after uh, Friend was able to get back to his feet, he was able to get his own shots off, land some beautiful knees, and then get him out of there. Fluffy Hernandez, when he is on, he reminds me of a Cain Velasquez, you know what I mean, from his prime days, where he's going out there putting the pressure on his opponents with his strikes, but looking to get the fight to the ground and either pummel them into the floor with ground and pound or find a submission victory of his own. I think a lot of people have been giving him, you know, a hard time because of the, the knockout loss that he suffered to Kevin Holland. And then obviously before that, he got uh, choked out by Marcus Perez. But we know that he provides much more than, uh, than what he showcased in those fights the Junyoung Park fight was a really good back and forth fight where we saw him very much tested but he was able to pull off an anaconda choke that night and get the victory whereas on the flip side for um uh, and then obviously he lost to Kevin Holland after that and then in his next fight against Rodolfo Vieira big big underdog showed off his BJJ defense very very well that night and uh, was able to stop uh the submissions of Vieira waiting for him to gas out and then eventually getting that finish via submission in his own right which was hilarious as well but good win from there uh you know was matched up with a couple different guys on this card Drikas Duplessis Albert Duraev and then obviously now he's going up against Josh from does there's been a lot of shake up on this card um for guys jockeying to to get other matchups but I think that this is a great fight for him. The only question mark I have is his durability, right? Like he gets hurt by Kevin Holland to the body. He gets hurt by Marcus Perez to the body and then eventually choked there. Josh Fremd, if he's smart, maybe he looks to target the body in this fight as well. But I wonder how much success Josh will have, especially being on the back foot for the majority of this fight as I expect him to be. Anthony Fluffy Hernandez is going to push the pressure from the minute the start, this fight starts. And I think he'll eventually land those takedowns and be able to get some good work done from on top. 
I need to see Hernandez eat some more shots and still win a fight before I can trust him at minus 200, though. The spot that I'm looking at, a little bit chalky right now, but I see the finish happening from either side, whether it's Josh Friend finding, finding a knockout or Hernandez getting a finish of his own, whether it's with ground and pound or a submission. Minus 350, a little bit chalky, but given how I expect this fight to go, I do think that we'll see Hernandez get his hand raised and get that finish while doing so. I love Hernandez. I think he's a great prospect. Even if you guys go back and watch his fight in 2018, where he went a full five rounds with Brendan Allen, great fight, and we could truly see what his potential was that night. But I think we're going to see him start to recapture that as he starts stringing a couple wins together. And one of them here is going to be uh, where he gets this win over Josh Fremd. And he, I think he gets that finish. So uh, I'll go Anthony Hernandez inside the distance. But the fight doesn't go to the decision is probably one of my favorite lines from that fight. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Alexei Olenek going up against Jared Vandera. I believe they might throw this fight on the main card just given how much they like Alexei Olenek. But as of right now, this fight is fourth, I believe, on the uh, yeah fourth on Topology's bout order. So that's what I'm going to be going with. In terms of odds, we got to pick him fight here, right? We got Alexei Olenek, who was supposed to fight Ilir Latifi two weeks ago in uh, UFC Columbus. Unfortunately, Latifi pulled out during or right before the fights were about to kick off, and uh, Olenek was originally scheduled to have that fight rescheduled to this card. Unfortunately, Latifi still couldn't get uh, healthy enough or whatever was what he was dealing with could not get it rectified in time, and in steps Jared Vandera to take on Alexei Olenek. Now, I don't have many thoughts on this fight. It's a very difficult fight to to breakdown it could be a very volatile fight as well like i could see one of these situations where olenic just finds a trip a throw uh you know some sort of takedown and gets on top of vandera and eventually finds a submission or vandera being the big dope he is he could probably just keep vandera or sorry olenic on the outside with his striking and with his movement you know it's good that they're, they're in the bigger cage as well so vandera can kind of traverse it a little bit better but i think he wants to make up for that loss to andre Olovsky last time around but vandera is not like a crazy knockout puncher if you guys won't watch his fights he likes leaning on volume he likes leaning on output kind of just you know sticking and moving as best as possible throwing in combinations throwing in leg kicks and i could see that what he might look to do here against olenek who you know it can be kind of easy at times to knock him out but it could also be very difficult to get him out of there as we saw in the fabrizio Verdum fight as we saw in the sergey spivak fight and again vandera doesn't strike me as a guy that's a big knockout puncher so he's gonna have a, a very relentless Linux coming at him the entire time but if he can traverse the cage properly here keep him on the end of his jab and stay moving so he doesn't get taken down i think that I can, he can win this fight relatively easily too so uh the the pick here is going to be vandera slight lean towards him uh it's just a little bit of a question mark regarding the fact that he's taking this fight on short notice but if he's able to go out there and give us a solid 12 minutes without getting taken down i could see him cruising to a decision victory here so the pick's going to be Jared Vandera. Not a lot of love on it from my end of things, but I do like him to win this fight, and I'll take him to win it via decision. All right, let's move on to the next one here. We got a great fight between Vince Pichel and Mark Madsen. In terms of odds, we got minus 140 on Pichel and plus 120 the return on Mark Madsen. Now, the last time we saw Mark Madsen, I believe he was in a co-main event slot against Clay Guida, and that was a very uncharacteristic performance from Mark Madsen, but that's exactly what he needed to get the job done. He did not go out there and try to grapple with Clay Guida, who's an energizer bunny, full of cardio. 
and would have more than likely engaged and welcomed that kind of fight from Mark Madsen. But Mark used the threat, just knowing, you know, having Clay Guida think that he's going to go for the takedown. He used that against him by letting his striking go, clinching up with him a couple of times against the cage, landing some good strikes, but then mainly just trying to set a decent enough pace that he wouldn't completely gas out and uh, so that he can go out there and try to outstrike Clay Guida, show off the, the guns and the striking that he's been trying to attain over there at Fight Ready with Eddie Chan, Santino DeFranco and those guys. But I'd be surprised if he's going to go out there and try to do the same thing here against Vince Pichel. Pichel is a much better striker. His wrestling is improving. And even when he does get taken down by guys like Gregor Gillespie and uh, other fighters that have tried to do the same, even Austin Harbour, he does a good job of getting back to his feet and really making his opponents work to try to establish that top control. Because if they're not able to do so, then he can let his striking go and he's going to get to wear on their gas tank because he has a pretty damn good gas tank of his own. So I'm curious to know how Mark Madsen is going to be approaching this fight. Is he going to go for takedowns? Because if he does, he's going to be working hard for them. And that cardio is going to start to take a hit, just as we saw when he fought Austin Hubbard. Or is he going to go out there and strike with Vince Pichel, which I think would be a bad idea because Pichel is clearly the much better striker in this in this fight. So uh, again, very interested to see how they approach it. I know those guys down there at Fight Ready will have a great game plan to deal with Vince Michelle. I just don't know if they'll get him to execute it properly here against a veteran like from hell, Pichelle. So I, I get why Pichelle is the slight favorite in this spot, you know, minus 140, minus 130 at certain spots. Um, I just have, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I should have some reservations about the Pichelle pick, but I really don't. Like, I do think he goes out there and has a, a solid enough performance here against Madsen. Puts his strikes together, finds that knockout probably later in this fight. Madsen needs to wrestle. Madsen needs to get an early finish here. Because if he doesn't, things get very shaky for him, I think, as we saw when he fought Austin Hubbard. Now, plug in Vince Pichelle for Austin Hubbard. I think we see Pichelle get a finish if he was the one in that third round against Madsen that night. So I'm going to go with from hell, Vince Pichel. I'm seeing some love coming on Mark Madsen. So I wouldn't be surprised if we can get a better line on Vince once the fight gets a little bit closer. So it might be a good idea to stay patient with this line. But I still do like Vince here. And I think he gets that knockout. Let's call it third round here against Mark Madsen. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got Mickey Gall, uh, I believe, trying to save his UFC job here because he is on a... Actually, no, he's he's been exchanging wins and losses over his last couple of fights. He's... Uh, wow, look at, look at that. Going back to the night that he beat Sage Northcutt, which was uh, December of 2016, he's exchanged nothing but wins and losses. Win against Sage, loss against Randy Brown. Win against George Sullivan. Loss against Diego Sanchez. Win against Salim Tahari. Loss against Mike Perry. Win against Jordan Williams. Loss against Alex Morono. And I think he's going to be bucking that trend here and losing once against to Mike Mallet, Mike Malat. I really like Malat in this spot. Minus one ninety is what he is coming in at. Plus one sixty five the return on Mickey Gall. But I've been hearing about this Malak kid for a long time, not to mention he actually fought on one of the shows that I was a, a, a logistics manager for Substance Cage Combat. We had a very tough time trying to find an opponent for him and trying to get his game or trying to, you know, try, trying to find somebody that was willing to take a, a fight with him. We eventually found a guy in Alan Wilson who, you know, seemed to just be the guy that would take any fight and uh mike Mallott made him pay for it almost immediately finishing him 
pretty quickly in that first round. Uh, the guy has great striking. He has a great jiu-jitsu base as well. Uh, the only kind of concern has been his durability. However, you know, he used to be a 145er. Now he's a 170er. He was much younger. It was a lot easier for him to make weight back in the day. He did struggle a couple times. I believe he missed weight when he fought Hakeem Duwadu. But uh, got knocked out in that fight. Didn't seem like the weight cut really helped him there. Then he took a year off, came back uh, up a weight class, and uh, fought, uh, I, I can't recall the guy's name, but he went to a draw with him. You know, he had a very dominant first round, and then in the second and third round, it seemed like his opponents started to pick it up. But uh, it still seemed like Manat was a little bit lost in the second and third rounds there. Now he's at 170 pounds. Now he's fighting like legit guys. And and I feel like he's going to showcase what his true potential is. Like I said, great striking. He's going to be the much better striker here against Mickey Gall. It all depends on how he's going to react when he gets hit. Because he's going to get hit. You know, he did a really good job in the Solomon Renfro fight where he... He got hit. It looked like he got hurt a little bit early in that fight. But after that, he was able to take over. And then he eventually found the... I believe he found the submission in that fight as well. Uh, we saw him get the quick submission victory as well in his Dana White Contender Series fight, which punched his ticket to the UFC. But here against Mickey Gall, if he doesn't beat Mickey Gall, then all of the hype that he had before, all of the you know touting that a lot of people were doing for him way back in the day was all for naught. Because Mickey Gall, albeit a decent fighter... He's not Mike Malott's level. I think skill for skill, Malott absolutely runs through him in this spot. But Mickey Gall has been known to kind of bite down on the mouthpiece and really start to let it go with his hands. If he finds that chin of Malott, he could, you know, find some success. But I do think that Malott will stay safe in this fight. I think he will be very much benefiting from being at 170 pounds, especially with his durability, where he'll be able to kind of let the rest of his game go. Whether it's going to be with takedowns, I think he's the better jiu-jitsu player, honestly. And even with the striking, if he keeps him straight and is right down the middle, he's going to get to the target a lot quicker than the, the kind of winging hooks that we've been seeing from Mickey Gall over the last couple of fights. So I'm going to go Malat. Um, does he finish him? Let me let me just see what I had in my um, best bets and props order because I believe I do have him down for a finish here. Uh, yeah, Malat by Malat inside the distance is currently hanging around plus one ten. I, I do believe that's how how he'll get it done. I think he'll land probably a club and sub. Let's call it a club and sub that he'll eventually be able to land here against uh, Mickey Gall. Uh, but I do think he'll be the better fighter in the cage. And as long as Malat's durability holds up, he should be able to run through uh, Gall here. Again, don't take too much from the fact that Malat went to a draw with a guy that was 5-4 and four at the time. I think there was a lot of question marks about Malat, especially, you know, the, the weight cut that he was having uh, and and the confidence issues after taking his first ever loss in the way that he did against Hakeem Duwadu. But I think that he's starting to bounce back the way that he should. And I think we're going to see him go out there and showcase what kind of potential this guy actually has. So I'm going to go Malat and Malat inside the distance all right let's move on to the next fight here and we got uh aspen lad taking on raquel pennington short notice raquel pennington uh in terms of odds we got minus 194 raquel pennington plus 165 is the return on aspen lad now this is one of those fights where we're truly going to test um the 
the what have you done for me lately type of narrative that a lot of people like to put into gambling, right? Uh, Aspen Ladd, she was a decent favorite over Norma Dumont last time around, and she just could not let her game go. She could not get anything going, and unfortunately, she took an L that night, a very bad L. It was a very bad performance from her. She didn't shoot. She she couldn't really uh, let her hands go. Dumont was just beating her to the punch every single time, and Aspen Ladd almost looked stuck in mud. But we know when Aspen Ladd is at her best, she's able to push her opponents up against the cage, drag them to the floor, and have really good success with the scrambling from on top and even just being able to dish out damage from on top. And I think that's what we're going to see here against Raquel Pennington. Pennington in her last several fights has really been tying up with her opponents against the cage, trying to find success there. And she is finding success there, but there are openings that I see where Aspen Ladd should be able to take advantage. Ladd does a good job in terms of digging for underhooks and pushing her opponent up against the cage and reversing positions, but she's even better at cage wrestling and dragging fights to the ground from those positions. Her striking still needs a little bit of work. Uh, it does look a little bit rudimentary at times. So yeah, Raquel Pennington will likely be the better striker here. But I do think that Pennington will struggle once this fight hits the mat. You know, that's kind of been her kryptonite whenever she does lose fights. And Macy Kiasan was having some good success from on top where she was having, you know, a, a good crown and pound and a good control from on top in that first round. Unfortunately, she gave it up in the second round where Raquel was able to find a beautiful front choke and get her out of there. But I think we're going to see a better version of Aspen Ladd than we did last time. I think we're going to see the version who was a, a slight favorite against Jermaine Durandamy, a big favorite in all of her other fights, you know, a slight favorite against Norma Dumont. Now, all of a sudden, she takes her second loss in a, in a very... A very weird fight, a fight that she doesn't, she was very un, in characteristics, like, or sorry, uncharacteristic, and she didn't really get much of her grappling off, which is something that she relies on heavily. I think she'll be able to do that here against Raquel Pennington, who, mind you, coming in on short notice here, and I think mainly due to the fact that her significant other, Tisha Torres, is on this card as well. I think that's why she decided to take this fight, but she's coming in on short notice in a, uh, against a fighter in Aspen Ladd who's going to be able to push the pace from the first minute to the 15th minute. So I think Raquel will struggle with the grappling here, uh, Aspen Ladd, and I think we'll see Ladd have tremendous success from on top, ground and pound, maybe even submission attempts, but I think we see Ladd grind her out and eventually get a, a decision victory. So uh, I'm going to go with Aspen Ladd, and I'll take her to win this fight, like I said, via decision. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Jerzinho Rosenstrike going up against Marcin Tybura. In terms of odds, we got minus 150 for Rosenstrike and plus 130 the return on Marcin Tybura. Now, this line is wide. It's a little bit too wide, but I still see the guy that's favored getting the win. Now, Marcin Tybura is a great fighter all around. He's a good, decent enough striker, but he gets his best work done when he's able to mix the whole martial arts together. And that's meaning with, you know, getting his clinch game going, getting his takedowns going, and really just roughing up his opponents from on top. See the Maxim Grishin fight as to what I mean by Marcin Tybura. When he puts everything together well, that's what that's the type of performance we get from him. And that's what we're going to need here against Jerzyna Rosenstrike. However... I think there's just going to be, well, at least something that we've seen from Jerzino over his last several fights is he makes it very difficult for opponents who are looking to have a grappling advantage over him be dominant with it, right? Alistair Overeem could not get him out of there, and he had five rounds to do so, even with a couple of takedowns that he was able to land there. Curtis Blades, 15 minutes, just, you know, ragging on top of him, trying to get him out of there, but was unable to do so. Rosenstrike does a really good job in terms of 
you know, uh, nullifying that success that his opponents have. Obviously, he still get held down at times, but sometimes you see him working to get back to his feet. And then even on the feet, he does a good job in terms of kind of maintaining his distance at times. I think in those exchanges, that's where Marcin Tyboro is going to falter. That's where Rosenstrike is going to be able to land that big bomb. But it's very difficult to make a case to pay minus 150 for a guy that whose who's win condition is solely a knockout. Right. Let me see what his KO line currently sits at, because I'd much rather pay that plus 125 plus 120, depending on the bookie that you're looking at. That's what you're getting for Rosenstrike to win by knockout. And in my opinion, that's really his only win condition in this fight, because, you know, I think Tybura will likely land takedowns and be able to be the more active fighter in this spot. But with Rosenstrike, all it takes is one punch. Ask Alistair over him, right? Ask a bunch of the guys that he's been knocking out en route to, uh, you know, he had that big fight against Francis Ngannou. I think he knocked out Andre Arlovsky before that as well. So Rosenstrike is all about having that nuclear power, but not much else, right? He's very, he's a fadeable fighter. So I completely understand why people are taking the Tybura shot at underdog odds here, but they got to be wary for the full 50 minutes that he's not going to get knocked out. I just see too many deficiencies in Marcin's striking game, especially when he's already been grappling a lot in that fight. Everything starts to get sloppier and sloppier. And as that happens, that's where Jersey and Rosenstrike will eventually find that knockout blow, in my opinion. And one thing, I, I say this almost every single time that Rosenstrike or a couple of these other heavyweights I'm about to mention fights is the, the heavyweight knockout gauntlet that I kind of have made up in my head. We have level one of Walt Harris. We saw Martin Tybura go up against him, and he lost in that fight. Um, the next level up is, or sorry, he he beat uh, Walt Harris, right? Uh, very, uh, He got rocked in that uh, fight, early in that fight, but managed to roll through it and eventually get the finish of his own at the ending of that first round. Uh, the Greg Hardy fight. Greg Hardy's not a part of the KO gauntlet anymore, especially considering that he's, cut from the UFC but even he rocked Tybura but couldn't get him out of there now give me Jerzinho's power and landing those same shots against Tybura Tybura is probably going to go out and like I said for the heavyweight KO gauntlet Jerzinho Rosenstrike is the next step up after Walt Harris and if he can't pass Jerzinho Rosenstrike and he barely passed Walt Harris, you know, almost getting finished in that fight, I think things get a little bit iffy. Uh, obviously, after that is Derek Lewis, who's already beaten Marcin Tabura, and then the king is obviously going to be Francis Ngannou. But I think that Rosenstrike will deal with a lot of adversity here. Might even be a good hedge opportunity, not a hedge, but sorry, a live betting opportunity if you guys are watching this fight live. Uh, after round one, likely Rosenstrike will be an underdog. But I think that knockout is going to happen at a certain point in this fight. It will be harder and harder for Tybura to get those top positions and, and get the fight to the ground. And then from there, he's going to be a sitting duck on the feet. And I think it's just a matter of time before Rosenstrike lands that perfect bomb to put him out. So uh, I'll go Jerzinho Rosenstrike, not paying minus 150 on him. Even that plus 110, plus 125 on his KO prop. Ugh. You know, I want something a little bit juicier than that. But I still think he gets it done. I think he gets the knockout and he gets the victory as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got the return of Ian Gary going up against Darian Weeks. In terms of odds, we got minus 360 now on Gary and plus 295 the return on Darian Weeks. Um, before even tape starting this fight, I thought I'd be on the weak side, right? I wasn't impressed with Ian Gary in his UFC debut. He was pretty much getting beat up until he finally found that counter to put Jordan Williams' lights out. And I thought Weeks would be able to replicate something similar to Jordan Williams after running the tape. I just don't think so. I'm interested to see how Weeks does if he chooses to grapple here and uses his wrestling background. But that's not something that he usually 
uh, leans on. He tried using it against Brian Barberena, was quite ineffective with it. I'd be surprised if he has much success here against Gary with it. He might be able to get him down once or twice early in this fight, but the longer that it goes on, I think he and Gary will start to take over. Then you kind of start to lean on the Darren Weeks via KO side because that's how we got a lot of his work done on the regional scene. And uh, Weeks by KO is currently about plus 600. So if you if you don't mind a little gamble, I think that's uh, there's there's a little bit of value on there. But I think a lot of it is front-loaded. The, the longer that this fight goes, the easier I think it will be for Gary to get away from those big strikes because you know Weeks does telegraph a lot of his big shots. And I think we'll see Gary privy enough to it, get out of the way, and then get his own count counters going and Gary's a pretty big dude for this 170 pound uh, division right in terms of height let me get a specific height here for you guys but he's always going to be the longer and ranger guy in, inside the cage uh, he's sitting at six foot three with the 74 inch reach insane let me let me make sure UFC stats has that correct as well yeah six three with the 74 inch reach and then on the flip side for uh, Darian Weeks we're currently getting uh 5'11 with a 72 inch reach so uh gonna be you know about four inches shorter uh only a two inch reach advantage for ian gary there but i think we're gonna see that size play a huge factor in this fight and with uh, ian gary kind of maintaining his distance and just chipping him apart from the outside and i think he could eventually get that finish as well i do think that uh his counter striking is very good and he's gonna make uh darian weeks pay and i do think at a certain point probably in the second or third round he's gonna catch him with one of those long counters put him on his butt and either choke him out or find a finish at a certain point but if weeks is going to get this fight done it's got to be in the first round because he does start to slow as the fights go on and i'm not just you know saying that from the brian barbarino fight because that's a fight that he took on somewhat short notice but i think he's going to struggle trying to find that bomb which is kind of his go-to move in the majority of his fights uh but i think he's going to struggle here against ian gary who again i want to fade i don't think he is as good as uh, his record is making him out to be uh, or or even the hype is making him out to be uh, but I just don't think that Darian Weeks is the guy to go out there and fade him with. Similar to Patty Pimlet from the other week against Rodrigo Vargas. Again, there is going to be a good time for us to fade them at heavy dog odds. These are just not the times to do it yet. So I think Gary gets his hand raised. I'll see either second or third round TKO. All right. Let's move on to the next fight here. And again, this is the first fight confirmed for the main card with only four fights left. Uh, we got Mackenzie Dern taking on Tisha Torres. In terms of odds, we got to pick and fight here. There was money and love coming in on Mackenzie Dern late last week, but it seems to be evening out with that Tisha Torres love coming back as well now. Uh, I've been I've done pretty well in Tisha Torres fights uh, in terms of betting wise right uh, I'm four and one in terms of betting her fights the only time I whiffed was uh, when I, I picked her to beat Marina Rodriguez but uh, you know I, I picked Jessica Andrade against her I picked her as a big dog against Brianna Van Buren uh, and I was surprised at the amount of disrespect that was on her name in that fight against Van Buren. Uh, and then, you know, she had a great performance against Angela Hill, beating her up in a stand-up fight with the, the main benefactor of, or the main factor of being in that fight being the, uh, the, the, the speed of Tisha Torres. She was just getting to the punches and combinations a lot quicker than what Angela Hill was throwing out there. Tisha is very experienced. She's very fast. She's very athletic. And she's very difficult to put away. I'd kind of be surprised if Mackenzie Dern is able to drag her into one of those spots where Dern gets her to the ground and uses a or or gets her submission going and or even gets a submission victory because Tisha Torres is great defensively speaking with her takedowns uh sorry off of her back being able to get back to her feet 
you know, the best wrestler that she's fought in her last several fights was Brianna Van Buren, who, let me get the uh, correct number here, but uh, Van Buren went, let me just get the number here correct. Uh, I missed it, actually. I did not jot it down. Let me just quickly pull it up for you guys, though. But uh, Brianna Van Buren missed on a lot of takedowns. She did land two in the first round, uh, but Torres did a really good job in terms of getting right back to her feet. Um, yeah, Brianna landed two takedowns, so she went two of seven on takedowns with two of those takedowns coming in the first round. Um, but Van Buren, the most of her success coming in that round was just pushing Torres up against the cage. But Torres was able to dig the underhooks, get out, and then get back to her work, which is just being the better striker, which is why she was able to get the decision victory that night. I am not impressed with uh, Mackenzie Dern's takedowns, right? A lot of it is kind of fluky-ish in terms of how she gets her submissions. Randa Marcos following her to the ground. Hannah Cyphers kind of doing the same thing. I'd be surprised if Torres gets goaded into that type of fight. She's going to want to keep this fight in the striking realm. And from there, she throws the much better combinations. She throws great kicks. She has great speed. She should be able to get in and out with her strikes before uh, Mackenzie Dern's able to get on her hips and get some sort of takedown uh, situation going at all. Um, what what's the takedown accuracy here on Mackenzie Dern? Ten percent takedown accuracy on Mackenzie Dern. We have a fifty eight percent takedown defense rate on Tisha Torres. But again, the way that Mackenzie Dern th- shoots her takedowns, just not good in my opinion. I had a st- statistic here. I believe it was Mackenzie Dern has only landed two takedowns in. 30 attempts i think that's why she's only 10 sorry three of 28 on takedowns in her ufc career absolutely crazy and now she's going to try to go out there and do that against um uh tisha torres kind of surprised that the money was coming in on mackenzie Dern to make her you know minus 130-ish favorite at a certain point and how tisha torres is not a bigger favorite in this spot i just don't completely understand so uh, i am gonna go with the tisha torres side here i think she's the better fighter i think she'll be quicker on the feet better with the combinations and i wouldn't even mind poking tisha torres via tko at plus 600 you know, outside of the Sam Hughes finish that she got, which was a little bit weird, considering that Sam Hughes just pretty much quit. You know what I mean? Say what you want about her taking that fight on short notice. But this might look bad where Tisha Torres is just landing the better strikes and uh, getting the better of her in those situations. Now I get it. People might say, oh, Marina Rodriguez couldn't finish her over five rounds. Why do you think Tisha Torres is going to do that? It, it doesn't work like that. Just because Marina Rodriguez wasn't doesn't mean that Tisha Torres won't be able to either. It's just the speed discrepancy and her confidence in her takedown or, or takedown defense and ability to get back to her feet, which is something that Marina Rodriguez did not have, right? There was, I think it was round two of Dern against Rodriguez where uh, Dern spent four minutes with control time uh, and that was off of a failed takedown attempt and she eventually got a reversal with a knee bar attempt or, or, or a footlock attempt, but... Um, Marina Rodriguez just was not confident in her ability to get back to her feet or stuff the takedowns, which is why she didn't really truly let go on her power. I think the speed of Torres mixed with the confidence that she'll have to keep this fight standing and keep it in her realm will allow her to potentially find that knockout. So at plus 600, it's going to get a little bit of a sprinkle for me, but as an official prediction, I'll take her to win this fight via decision. All right, let's move on to the fights that... Everybody is excited for the top three fights here. First of which is Hamzat Shemaev coming in at minus 560, taking on Gilbert Burns at plus 410. Good God. We, we are getting a, 
a skyrocket here from uh, Hamzat in terms of going from Li Jingliang all the way up to Gilbert Burns, who's a top five fighter who just fought for the title less than a couple fights ago. Now Hamzat Shumayev is going to go out there and try to prove to us that he is actually as good as the hype is making him out to be. Now, before I hit record here, there was actually a clip that I came across from uh, Brian Stan way back in 2017. He was asked, you know, if there is not, uh, name somebody who isn't in the UFC yet that you've been hearing about that will eventually make it to the UFC and you think will be very successful in doing so. And although Brian Stan didn't remember his name, he was clearly talking about Hamzat Shemaev way back in 2017. And I believe that was even before Hamzat... um, had a professional fight. Let me quickly look into that. He's 10 and 0 right now. Uh, in 2017, yeah, he had one amateur fight in 2017. That's it. And then since then, he's just been absolutely wrecking shop, destroying everybody that he's been gone up against. And now here he is going up against Gilbert Burns. And he's going to try to continue that lore that uh, people have on him, where he is just this absolute monster and machine. Should the line be this wide? No. Gilbert Burns deserves a little bit more respect than that. However, I do think that Shemaev is going to live up to that that lore and that those tales of him just absolutely beating up on guys in the in the training room, especially guys that are doing very well in the in the UFC. There's a reason there's this much hype on the kid, and you know if you just strictly look at his resume inside the UFC, he's gone out there and done what he's supposed to do against guys that he's supposed to do it against. Now he's getting a legitimate step up in competition, but I think he can still go out there and prove that he is one of the best in the world by beating a guy in Gilbert Burns who, you know, he's looked good. His striking is getting better. Obviously, his bread and butter used to be his uh, jujitsu, but he has a ton of power in his hands and his striking, like I said, his striking is getting better. But I just don't know if he has the chops to go out there and give Hamzat that trouble. I think Hamzat's top control is going to be a little bit too difficult for Gilbert to deal with. And not to mention, Gilbert used to be a 155 pounder. Hamzat's talking about fighting at 185 and 170 and holding both belts while defending both of them. And not just talking about it, right? He went up to 185 pounds and beat a couple guys. He's a big dude in his own right. And he has the grappling skills. He has the chops. He has that the crazy ground and pound, that top, uh, top control, all that good stuff. He is really good at what he does. And now he'll finally get to prove it against somebody that people will be like, okay, he did this to Gilbert Burns. I'll give him some more respect. And I was one of those guys back in the day that was like, okay, let's wait till he gets a legitimate comp- step up in competition. And then I'll probably fade him at good underdog money. I'm getting the shot to do it now, but I just don't have the, the confidence to do it. If if Kamar Usman is an underdog to Hamzat Shmaev, I will make that bet. I don't. I I just don't. I don't. I won't do it here against Gilbert Burns. Uh, the, the, Shmaev's wrestling is just way better than what Burns brings to the table, and Burns has shown that he can be broken. And Shmaev is one of the best in the world in terms of breaking people. So I'm going Shmaev. I think Shmaev gets it done inside the distance. But the spot that I'm really liking here is the fight doesn't go to the decision, which is hanging around minus 225 and minus 270, depending on where you're looking at and which bookie. Because if Burns gets the finish, maybe it's off of a submission of some sort. Or maybe he finds a knockout blow. But given how Hamzat Shmaev fights, which is forward pressure, forward movement, and just nonstop pressure, he more often than not will always find the finish. And I think he'll be able to find the finish here against Gilbert Burns as well. So the official pick is going to be Hamzat Shmaev inside the distance. KO, submission. I'm not sure how it's going to come, but I think he gets him out of there. But I'll likely be parlaying the fight doesn't go to the decision, as I do think that's a quite a safe spot here. Again, main ingredient be Hamzat and his style of just forward pressure all the time and just always 
causing action. I think it's going to result in a finish one way or, the, uh, or another. And I think it's actually going to be Hamzad that gets his hand raised in this spot. All right. Co-main event time. Bantamweight strap on the line here. Champion Aljamain Sterling going up against interim champ Pyotr Jan. Uh... Yeah, we all know how the first fight went. Actually, you know what? Let me just give you guys the odds here first. Uh, minus 450 on Jan, plus 350 the return on Aljamain Sterling. We all know how the first fight went. Aljamain Sterling, you know, picked up the first round, uh, then start to fall behind in the second and third rounds. And then obviously the illegal knee in round four, which gave Aljamain Sterling the title. Since then, Jan went out there and dispatched of Corey Sandhagen, who won the first round against Jan. But then Jan picked up on his pace. Excuse me picked up on his patterns, picked up on his tendencies, and then eventually started to take over, and then obviously won that fight via decision. Excuse me. Feels like I'm getting the hiccups in the middle of this uh, breakdown, but we got two fights left, so let me power on through this. Uh, the the Corey Sandhagen fight is the one where I'm giving, uh, or, or giving up on fitting Piotr Jan. I played him, I think, at like plus 200 or something like that. I don't recall the exact number there. But I thought if anybody was going to beat Jan, it was going to be Corey. The guy had, you know, the the activity, the cardio, um, the output. That's all I needed. Because Jan at times is low volume. Uh, and he could be, you know, out-volumed in certain spots. Uh, but... Sanhagen still couldn't get it done. Jan was just waiting for the perfect times to just drop him, land him the more significant strikes, and that's obviously what was able to get him the win there. And if Aljamain Sterling tries to do the same thing, I just don't know if he has the cardio to do so. Like, I've heard arguments that, you know, Sterling wasted too much energy going for takedowns. But even in a fight against Pedro Munoz, where he goes out there and tries to fight the way that people want him to fight Piotr Jan, he was slowing down later in that fight too. Piotr Jan just gets stronger as the fight goes on. And I think it's just a matter of time before he finds Aljamain Sterling's chin and puts him out. Or just batters him and then eventually TKOs him. I think this is going to be a high action fight. I think Sterling might try to come in there and go about the, the Pedro Munoz game plan and try to just pick him apart from the outside. But it's just that the kicks and the, and the combinations and the significant strikes are going to start to be there for Piotr Jan the longer that the fight goes. And then I think he eventually finishes him later in this fight. So I, I do like the Piotr Jan side here. Um, I might parlay him. Uh, I'm not 100% sure at this point in time. Maybe I'll parlay him with the, the fight prior with Hamza Chimaev's fight doesn't go to decision. Uh, but, but I think he wins at a pretty high clip. Uh, again, we saw what Sterling uh, had in the first fight. I just don't think he has the cardio to go out there and implement a solid 15 to 20 minute game plan against Jan before he gets finished at the end of this fight. So I'll go Piotr Jan. I'm going to take him to win inside the distance. He is one of the best, if not the best fighter walking the earth right now with the way that he fights. And I think he'll showcase it once again here against Aljamain Sterling. Last thing I'll say, I think the line is a little bit out of whack just because of the... Um, uh, the the public perception of Aljamain Sterling. If you guys remember, I think it was close to a pick'em on the first time they fought. But obviously, we saw how the fight played on, and now the line is a little bit skewed because of that. But if it wasn't because of the like, if he lost like a close decision or something like that, or even if he lost a, a 49-46 decision and they rematched uh, and that illegal knee fiasco did not happen, I think we'd still get uh, Aljamain Sterling maybe around plus 200, plus 250. But considering all the jokes and the clowning around and all that shit that people are doing on Aljamain Sterling's name, that's why the line is up at minus 450, minus 500, in my opinion. So 
Uh, again, I'll still go with Piotr Jan here. I think he wins this fight at a decent clip. He might go down early, so maybe a live entry on this fight is a good way to go about it, where you you know take Piotr Jan going into round two, where you might get the line slightly better. But if you're a parlaying type of guy, like kind of like I like to do as well, obviously you won't be able to parlay live. But uh, yeah, I, I don't mind parlaying Piotr Jan at minus 450 in the spot. I think he finishes Aljamain Sterling at a certain point. Um, I saw, uh, shout out to FanDuel, who, which just opened up north of the border here. I saw Jan round four, round five decision sitting at minus 180. I think that's a damn good line as well. So make sure you guys check that out and try that out too. But I like Piotr Jan. Pyrrhon straight up, uh, Pyrrhon uh, finishing uh, Sterling late. That's kind of the angle that I'm going with for this fight. All right, main event time. We got Alexander Volkanovsky coming in at minus 800, taking on Korean Zombie, coming in at plus 500. Great fight here. Uh, obviously, it was supposed to be Max Holloway for the third time. Unfortunately, that fight does not happen, and uh, Max Holloway pulls out literally moments uh after they announced the fight uh holloway was dealing with some sort of injury but in steps uh chan sung Jung to make this fight happen now chan sung Jung uh one two or sorry two and one in his last couple fights here obviously he lost that fight to brian ortega in october of 2020 bounces back with the win over dan ige uh and now he gets a title shot here he still looks to be on at times right his striking looks good he has massive power in his hands, and that's kind of been the downfall of Alexander Volkanovsky. Well, not downfall, but that's kind of been the, the flaw in his game is the fact that he's been quite hittable over his several last several fights. If you do a um, just a little bit of an inspection of the of the competition that Volkanovsky has been fighting as of late, not a lot of guys uh, have crazy knockout power. Like, let me just uh, pull up here what I had in my best bets and props article. Uh, short notice nature of this fight makes people dismiss Zombie's chances, which is correct. Uh, he still has a killer hand speed and solid power. Volkanovski is quite hittable, and the truth is we just haven't seen him fight someone with KO power like Korean Zombie. Holloway is a guy that gets you out of there with volume, not power. Aldo has really diminished in his ability to finish guys as of late. Mendez doesn't KO anybody other than, uh, or sorry, it was Volkanovski who actually ended up KOing him. So, like, like I'm not saying that Korean Zombie has crazy knockout power by any means, like Francis Ngannou-type knockout power, but he still does have some pop on his shots, and he can cause Volkanovski some issues. So maybe taking a shot on Jung by KO or Jung inside the distance around plus 1,000 isn't that bad of a hedge, especially if you find yourself really heavily weighted on the Volkanovski side here parlaying with everything. I would not parlay Volkanovski, though. At minus 800, it just does not do enough for your parlay for it to be worth it, especially with the amount of threat that Korean Zombie will be having in this fight. Uh, like I said, the, you could give Volkanovski, or sorry, uh, Korean Zombie a slight advantage in terms of the striking. Again, mixing his combinations, his power, his fluidity, it could be better than the fight IQ of Volkanovski in terms of implementing leg kicks and then letting his striking go behind that. I would like to see Volkanovski drag this fight to the ground and try to just damage him from on top. That's probably where he is safest and will have the best success. I do think 
Volkanovski will still go out there and get the win. I still think that he's the the better overall fighter. I just don't like how hittable he is. And that's where I think that Jung could possibly find some success. So don't go, you know, throwing your house on Volkanovski in this spot because this is a very dangerous fight for him. If you like value, the clear value is on the Jung side. But if you just want a winner, uh, Volkanovski is probably the side there. But I, I tweeted it... Uh, or even I put it on my Instagram a couple weeks ago at the UFC London card, specifically for the Corey McKenna versus Elise Reed fight. I'm like, if you want winners, you pick Corey McKenna. If you want value, you pick Elise Reed. And what happened that night? Elise Reed got the win. So, again, same thing could be here where Volkanovski could be the winner, but the value is clearly on Jung's side. And if the ball bounces your way, you're catching a plus 500 ticket. I just don't have the balls to bet against the guy in Volkanovski, who I think is one of the most complete fighters in the game. So uh, I'm picking Volkanovski. No action on this fight. Maybe the over one and a half at minus 175, but uh, I still think that's a little bit crazy. Volkanovski via decision at minus 150. I wouldn't mind that. I would much rather play that than play anything else or even parlay Volkanovski in this spot. So yeah, I'll go Volkanovski, Volkanovski via decision, and I think he retains, and then I think we get the Holloway rematch a couple months down the road, but I think Volkanovski continues his reign as champion. All right, that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Appreciate you guys sitting through sitting through this for the last hour or however long that this podcast has went. Uh, make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe if you haven't already. If you guys want to show your boy a little extra support, five bucks a month. Link to the Patreon is in the description below. So make sure you guys go check that out. Uh, check out CoolBet, CoolBet.com. Use promo code MMALOTN2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. Uh, you can parlay props. You can get all this crazy good stuff on CoolBet. So make sure you guys go check that out. And, and lastly, I'll put out one last call for the Dog of the Night Challenge. Uh, the current editions wrap up this with this event, meaning the next event or the next edition uh, starts up with the next event, which is uh, Vicente Luque against Bilal Muhammad. But the deadline to sign up is April 10th. So that's the day after UFC 273. We have a $25 edition, $100 edition, and $500 edition, the high stakes edition. If you have any interest in that, if you like betting underdogs, this game is for you. We got a ton of great people in there, a ton of people that have returned time and time again. This is going to be the 10th edition of the Dog of the Night Challenge that I've done, and I hope to break the records of the past pools that we've had. So uh, again, you pick one underdog uh, for every UFC event, whether it's an underdog or an over-under at plus money, accumulate the most profit. If you end up in the top three, you get paid out with the pot. Simple as that. If you're interested in that, slide in my DMs on Twitter or Instagram, and I'll make sure you guys are set up properly there and get you ready to go for April 10th. Otherwise, hope you guys enjoy UFC 273. Uh, got the Coach's Main Event Marathon coming out in a couple days. Make sure you guys go check that out when it drops. We'll have Mark Montoya, Eric Nixick, and Santino DeFranco all breaking down the tail fights for us, and then obviously giving us uh, their pick for the competition portion of the show for the main card I got a great guest lined up for the Ultimate Wayne Show. I got Cody Safta coming on for propping you up on Thursday over on the All-Star. So make sure you guys go check that up. So a full week of great content headed your way. And it all starts off with the MMA Lawcast here. Appreciate the love. Appreciate the support. Hit that like and subscribe. And I'll see you guys throughout the week.